Good morning. I'm excited to be here. I, I'm glad I get to preach this morning, and uh, I get to do something at 4 p.m. today. It's the first time I've ever preached on a Christmas Eve, but uh, I'm assured that because I'm not doing six or eight, I'm still not ready for prime time, but I'm happy to be here with you all and uh, to be <laughs> to be welcomed by, you know, I had flashbacks of David Bowie and Bing Crosby. There used to be this channel that showed music videos. Um, perhaps you've heard of it, I don't know, but. Oh, so happy Advent. We're continuing in Advent still to answer the question suggested by the hymn, O Holy Night, how does a weary world rejoice? A couple of weeks ago, um, I was able to, to preach here and and talk about finding joy in connection. Joy is a word that is common to us, and yet I believe it's a word that should be reserved for spiritual purposes. I mean, we have plenty of other words to express happiness and delight, like happiness and delight. (laughs) To me, joy is a spiritual word that we have hijacked, describes a mysterious and beautiful encouragement that we receive in our connection. And yet, we talk about the joy of cooking or almond joy candy bars. Now, look, I've never turned down an almond joy candy bar. But I feel there are certain words that have sacred meaning. And today, we're going to come across another word that has a deep and mysterious meaning, hope. The word hope has been co-opted into our everyday language as optimism. It describes some kind of wishful thinking. We use it in phrases like, I hope the Packers make the playoffs. Or, (laughs) I heard amen, I think. Or, I I, I hope there are pancakes for breakfast. Sometimes we say ridiculous things like, I hope that cop didn't see me speeding. It's little wonder that kids are confused by the meaning of hope. I met a person who said they hoped they would be happy. Now they're living in a cottage with six other dwarves and working in a mine. They hoped they would be happy. Some of us assume that the S, the S on a Superman cape stands for Superman, right? And originally it did, but uh, in about 2003, I believe, uh, there was one of the uh, comic book writers, Mark Wade, retold the Superman origin and explained the S stood for hope in Kryptonian language, and it, it, it's a river, apparently, on Krypton. I don't know. But, but that actually makes a little bit of sense because Superman comes to save the day. So maybe not bad. But Desmond Tutu, who is an Anglican bishop in South Africa, describes hope, or was an Anglican bishop in South Africa, describes hope as being able to see that there is light in spite of all the darkness. I like that definition, but it makes sense to me if we recognize that Jesus is that light. And if Jesus is our hope, that brings us back to Mary and the incarnation. Incarnation is a fancy word for the idea that Jesus came to us through Mary by being born. I think when when it comes to understanding hope, there's nothing more powerful than the, the birth of a child. And I know not everyone has children, but Certainly you were a child, and maybe you're an uncle or an aunt, a sibling, a teacher, or a friend, but most of us understand the impact that a child can have on a household. 
Like the addition of a child, hope can be disruptive. Hope changes the environment, and hope changes us. Children will disrupt our lives. Most of us have a regular routine, a rhythm, right? Have you ever driven to school or work or maybe drove here this morning and forgot the whole journey there because it was just so automatic to you? Have you ever been to a restaurant and you go there so often or so regularly that the the server already knows what you're going to eat that day? If so, you have a rhythm. Your life is has some kind of routine. When a baby comes, your whole life is now centered around a child. Your sleeping schedule and everybody in the house's sleeping schedule is dictated by that child. You carry luggage wherever you go. You plan around naps and meal times. If you've ever driven more than 10 miles to pick up a special toy that you left somewhere or left at home because you're going somewhere else, you know Disruption. They call that disruption of your routine, dehabituation. Dehabituation, you gotta get out of your habit. And when you get out of that habit, it makes you think about things, makes you contemplate things, makes you look at the world differently. This week, I got a text from Monica, who is the director of our carpenter shop daycare, and she asked if I could help in one of the rooms downstairs during uh, lunch or right after lunch, and I love to do that, especially when I'm working on a sermon because I'm down there, it's dark, no one can bother me, they're taking a nap, and like I get so much done, especially when I'm working on something like this. But, But I faced disruption because I did not realize she asked me to do something she's never asked me to do before, she asked me to do that in the infant room. The infant room, um, not everybody, shocking, I'm I'm sure, not everybody takes a nap at the exact same time. They're in shifts, they're eating or, well, I had the opportunity uh, to pick up one of those children and say, why don't you just hold this this guy and and see if he'll eat, and I got him to eat some, which was great, and then he was just fascinated by me, and I held him for 40 minutes. Now, I thought when I got in there and saw what was going on, I wasn't going to get anything written about my sermon. But man, that 40 minutes was amazing. It helped me realize where hope comes from. All that potential, all that love, all that joy right there. With a baby, life is different. And Mary knew this reality. Let's listen to a little bit of her song of hope. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. That, that phrase, from now on, man, that's, there was a disruption there. From now on, because of hope, Mary has a new name. She's called blessed. And not only is that from now on a disruption, that's going to be forever. We're still talking about it right now. That was a couple thousand years ago. The disruption of hope 
transforms the way that we understand life, the way we look at time. Think about it. We're in 2023 AD. AD, I know because I took three years of Latin. It's the only time I get to use it. It stands for Anno Domine, in the year of our Lord. This baby came down, and now we're still counting years by that child. Hope possibly changed your everyday life. Certainly maybe your Wednesday or Sunday routines. When I left teaching and entered full-time youth ministry, my summers were drastically disrupted. Uh, If you come to one of our Christmas Eve services, you'll get a little bulletin insert that has some of our upcoming events, but it also talks about some of our family events that are even coming this summer. People have to plan their summers, you know. And uh, on this one side, it lists four different weeks that we're going to camps or our mission trip or having vacation Bible school. That's four weeks of my life. Now, you may think, well, yeah, everyone's got to work. I went from doing nothing in the summer. Boom. But that disruption was a blessing to me, is a blessing to me, a blessing to anything that draws you out of yourself and closer to God. There are the blessings in hope. Like other disruptions, children and hope don't make life easier, but they certainly make life better. But children don't just disrupt our lives, they change the environment. We look at everything with new eyes. Uh, This can be both stressful and wonderful. In one sense, when children are around, we see everything in the room as a potential safety threat, challenge, right? There's choking hazards, fall risks, sharp objects, hot services. We see it all way differently. The world is all at once dangerous. But then we also, as as Pastor Gary talked about last week, have a wonder that comes with children, a sense of awe and amazement. Things that were once mundane are now special or important. Think about the stars, insects, leaves, snowflakes. In the eyes of a child, they have new, beautiful meanings. Where blankets and chairs become forts. And the most exciting game can be hiding your eyes with your hands. I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with a man named Eugene Lang. Eugene Lang was born to immigrant parents in New York City and attended public school there. Later, uh, at the age of 15, he went to a a suburban uh, Philadelphia college, and he earned a degree in economics and then went on to get a master's degree from Columbia Business School. In the early 1950s, Lang founded a corporation which holds a variety of patents, from ATMs to credit card verification systems, from VCRs and camcorders to barcode scanners. These are like one of the few technologies from the 50s that maybe we still use. So he probably did pretty well for himself, right? But the most important thing in his life, his life's work presented itself by accident much later when he was 62 years old. He returned to his elementary school in East Harlem, PS 121, to deliver a message. This message was supposed to honor and inspire 61 sixth graders who were graduating and going on to high school. 
His words weren't going to be very unique. He planned on telling his students if they worked hard, if they were diligent, they would be successful just like him. But he realized it was a different world. And he knew that that speech would fall flat. But then a principal said something that really kind of agitated him. He told Lang that 75% of the students he was about to talk with wouldn't graduate high school. He realized that the kids there didn't have the same advantages. They didn't have the same hope. So a few minutes later, he's up to talk to these kids, and he made a promise to them, not something he'd planned. But every sixth grader, he said, stay in high school and graduate, and your college tuition will be covered. And as he delivered that impromptu speech, he quoted another famous impromptu speech, and he told the, that group about the March on Washington and highlighted Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. He urged them to dream. After he gave that speech, someone told Lang that probably only two students would take him up on his offer. So he realized it wasn't just enough to have a promise. He created an environment of hope. He took them on field trips. He, he took them to dinners. He made sure that he cultivated some kind of hope in them. He adopted the class from PS 121. 90% of those students graduated from high school. Only 40% were expected to. And about 60 would go on, 60% would go on to pursue post-secondary work. That's an environment of hope. Mary, too, talks about how her son, born in hope, would change the environment. I love the prayer this morning that I talked about this. In Luke 1, 51 through 53, it says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The poor were the majority, the rich were the minority. Mary's talking about the birth of one who would turn the world on its head. Jesus didn't just come to change the rules, Jesus came to change the game. During a lot of his sermons where he was talking about what, what commandments people should follow, Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, I say to you, your intention is just as important as your actions. Jesus framed hope not as a formula, but as a relationship. Mary's song, the Magnificat, sounded the initial clear trumpet call that the event of Christ's birth would be a world-transforming, universe-shaking event. In addition to changing the world... Hope also reminds us who we are. Mary finishes her song by saying, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. There's a reinvigoration that God has a promise for his people. 
That there was a time when one day that God and his people walked together in a garden even. And they were close. There's a promise that will be a new Eden. There's a promise that we can have God's kingdom come when we come together. That's what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, Mary is known as the Theotokos, which means the God-bearer. Our Catholic friends put it a high emphasis on Mary to the point of praying to her. And other faith traditions are, are so upset by this that they often reduce the role of Mary to just being a vessel, just being something that, you know, thing Jesus comes through. A lot of times when we think about the birth of Jesus, God coming to be with us, we think about it more as a method than a method, message. But what if the method, the physical birth of Jesus, is the message? Think about this. Giving birth is a very earthy human experience. And I know this sounds really weird, but it's not exclusive to just people. It's physical. It's tactile. It's pain and relief. It's emotional. It's struggle and joy. It's fear and love. It's being overwhelmed and living in uncertainty, and then you stare at this tiny human, and you don't know what they will become, but you have the responsibility to raise them into a good person. And it's everyday work. It's living the example you want to set. It means going and being imperfect and then learning to be honest, asking for forgiveness and being vulnerable and offering forgiveness. The incarnation is God breaking into our human world. Jesus brings hope by bridging the human and the holy. In her book, The God-Bearing Life, Kenda Creasy Dean talks about a different approach to youth ministry. In her book, she identifies families and congregations and mentor relationships as holy ground where young people are most likely to encounter God, that all of us get to be a part of that work. It's founded on the truth that all of us are God-bearers to one another, and therefore youth ministry is more about people than programs. But I don't think such work remains for those who work with children or youth. We're all called to be God-bearers. We're all called to be present in our homes and the world around us, remembering that we bear God's image. And the church as a collective, we might, not, we might be the most significant representation of God to the people of our community. Think about that. As individuals, we might be the representation of God to, that our neighbors see. And being made in God's image, we're imbued with a spark of the divine. And it grows in us when we come together like this. When we, we study and we learn, it calls us to love and forgive our neighbor and helps us to grow too. But the spark of the divine does not long to be locked away in our hearts, but to be out there for the entire world to see, to bring wholeness, love, compassion, abundance, nourishment, and of course, hope. 
So normally we, we only think about uh, the Theotokos as being Mary, right? And we only think about that during Advent. How often do you hear a sermon about Mary outside of the Christmas season, right? We see her as the God-bearer. And when we, when we hear about that, that she brings Jesus in, this 13, 14-year-old girl, messily bringing hope into the world, we ask, why Mary? Why would God use Mary? And I think instead, when we think of ourselves as also being those who would bear God to a weary world, I want you to ask yourselves, why not us? Why not us? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to, to bring hope to a weary world. Help us to take up that charge to bear God as Mary once did. God, we love you. We pray these things in hope. Amen. All right, now our ushers will come.